Hello there. Well, hello. hello. Oh, I love the birthday cake you made for Gwen the other week. Oh, it thank was you. just well hell. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Poor Gwenny. Um it was her birthday and also she was moving house, you know, in a pandemic and um just with a full load of her normal work because she runs a company. But also she was like sending out something like 60 well hello doormats. <laughs> now, I can't feel guilty about the doormats because I look at her like they're occupying every available space in her home. They yeah, are difficult to, to sort of set, to send out. But, I mean, I did not make her do that and neither did you. <laughs> she was just like, hey, we should do doormats. Well, I'm like, whoa, Nellie, that sounds hard. <laughs> I couldn't believe <laughs> Even it. Even in I the saw. knowledge that you will be doing all the work, I, I'm like, whoa. She, she had, like a, is she a had like a three-day sort of thing where she was um, packing up house, moving house, dealing Send with other stuff, running around business. And then she's going, yeah, I think I might just um, – <laughs> Do another doormat push. <laughs> like, oh my god! She really? is like seriously. If I, you know, Someone we've said this before. Up. I mean, I reckon if we just put Gwen in front of in charge of the vaccine rollout, we would be, you know, oh, we'd just... be strolling around. We'd be flying to Hong her... Kong for the weekend. Can we? We should have like global dictator. I think yeah, I know. Gwenny, I'd, I'd oh, sign up for that if it was Gwenny. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, she'd be nice about it. She'd be a benevolent dictator. Yeah, she would. But stuff would get. But she'd kill a few people early oh, just stuff. to like keep, like she'd shoot a few generals, I reckon. Stuff would get done. <laughs> absolutely. And you wouldn't even, like, she wouldn't even break a sweat. <laughs> anyway, happy birthday, Gwen. But the cake, yeah, it said, well, hell, because it seemed to, you know, fit the vibe. Seemed to really fit the vibe. <laughs> Oh, my God. Uh, Now, um, I'm back to running. You'll be thrilled to hear. Oh. I always find it really hard to compute that. I know. And that's because you're right and I loathe running. I really don't enjoy it. How do you do it? uh, Because it's the only half hour of the day I get to myself. Mm -hmm. And also, it's a good excuse to listen to a podcast. And also, I do feel like... Just mental health wise, even though I loathe physical exercise and I would be happiest just, you know, on the couch 24 7 with a packet of biscuits, I do feel heaps better. Um, which, Let me, that's yeah. going to skip me into a couple of things that I've yes. been um, looking at, mm. which is um, one of them is a book called Fully Human by Steve Biddle. Right. And I've just bought that on your oh, recommendation. Oh, great. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. I mean, as you know, I'm not, not a lover of what I would call the self-help genre, so I prefer to call this book psychology. Right, okay. It's a professional research. <laughs> professional thing. research in psychology. Self-help um, does sound pathetic, doesn't it? It's like, oh, my God, I'm yeah. going to have to help myself and not in a nice, you know, I gin mean, and tonic sort of way. Some self-help books are absolutely fantastic, but I think it's just that when I think self-help as a genre, I tend to think of the kind of book that makes you feel bad about yourself and that's kind of prescriptive with some some rules for living that yeah, actually and I you're hate never going to meet. I and, hate the what I call the you got this brand of self where yeah. you know, it's sort of so infantilizing. You feel like you're, you know, in the room with a slightly annoying person. Or like the, you know, that one, I think was it called The Rules? It was an American book about dating and no. it's like, well, here are the 30 things that you have to do and if you follow these rules then you'll have your partner for life. It's just like, oh, gross. Oh. Yeah. Um, anyway, this book is basically about the premise is think of your body as a four-storey mansion. You've got your physical body, you've got your feelings. You've okay, got- four-storey mansion is setting off some alarm bells for me now because as soon as somebody's like prepared, like proposed a structure in, in <laughs> Chapter 1 that I have to imagine that I'm fucking walking in, you know, in the stairs between the levels. I'm like, no, I'm not, dude. I'm here in my pyjamas. Get to the point. <laughs> it's more of a, it's more of a caravan, okay, going on here. Um, 
No, you think it, you've got four levels in your body. Right. You've got your physical body. You've got okay. your emotions. You've I'm, got, I'm staying with this because I like you. You've got your thoughts <laughs> yeah. and you've got your spirituality. Okay. Now, I'm like you, right? So I'm pretty cynical when it starts off. But then as he's explained it, I've thought there's a hell of a lot of sense here. So he talked about how often we will rely on one thing and we ignore things, say, for example, the signals our body's sending. Oh, so yeah. he's talking about how you sometimes you might have a bad feeling about something like, oh, I don't think I should agree to this or whatever, and you sort of override your natural kind of what your body yep. is telling you. Mm-hmm. Or your feelings might mm. be telling you. Um, and then you come to regret it later. And so yep. he's talking about you need to listen to your body more. Um, yep. And so, for example, I notice things like when I take a break from work that my sleep is a lot better. Yeah. So the w- removal of stress and that kind of stuff yeah. has a physical effect yeah. on your body. So he talks a bit more about listening to your body. And then he talks about feelings and how, you know, don't squash your feelings down all the time either. You don't have to always act on them, but at yeah. least notice them and notice what you're feeling about something. So if you're feeling sort of uncomfortable about something, don't squash it down. To, and oh, then, I'm a big squasher. Yeah. yeah. I'm a habitual squasher. No, well, this will yeah. encourage you to not squash. Oh, okay. um, and then thinking, you know, thinking's useful, but obviously don't overthink. Mm. And then the spirituality bit I found really interesting too, because I thought, when I started that section, I thought, oh, yeah, I'm not really very spiritual, so, yeah, this is mm. really going to be for me. But then he explained his definition of spirituality was really interesting, which is basically any activity that gets you out of yourself. So oh, okay. anything that gets you into a state of flow or that keeps you in the present, that gets you out of your own ruminations or whatever, is a form of spirituality. So he oh, said, okay, so it's like the divine but not yeah. necessarily being a deity. Of yeah, so yeah. I was thinking about you and thinking, well, that's cooking for you because it yeah. keeps you in the moment and it sort of gives you a yep. sense of like ease. For me, it's music because it just gets me in that state of flow. Mm. Some people it's nature, um, some people it's religion, mm. you know, some people meditation, yoga, whatever. So it was a very non-kind of, you know, airy-fairy definition of spirituality and it was just talking about those activities are the things that put a bit of juice. Oh, okay, yeah. So he was so saying... So replenishing activities, basically. Replenishing yeah. activities, exactly. And so he was saying really to be... A lot of us live our lives neglecting some or mm. the other of these areas and so... Um, to be fully human, it's best to try to be in tune with all of these areas huh. and pay attention to all of it. And it just made a lot of sense and it was just explained in a really clear way and there were many bits in it that I thought, oh, that's really interesting. I'm going to take note of that. So, um, yeah, I I thought it was a great book. I do. I really do like Steve Bidolf, I must say, and that's because I he wrote a book about um, being a father, which I thought was... Um, he wrote a book called Raising Boys yeah, Raising and Boys. then The New Manhood. Yeah, I just think, I think from memory, I think he had some sort of transformative experience. Like he was quite a successful executive, I think, and then had some sort of, um, oh, maybe I'm getting mixed up. I don't know. Anyway, uh, the, the way that he writes about masculinity, I think is really yeah. perceptive and super helpful and interesting. So I do actually rate him as a um, as a it, as a writer. It had a lot of the stuff that I like that Phil Jackson talked about in the Michael Jordan doco. <laughs> your, your your basketball phase. <laughs> Back to my basketball. But didn't you at some point buy like about a hundred Phil Jackson books and and a few sort of wooden carvings? <laughs> <laughs> Some Native American comics. No, I didn't. But I did. Phil Jackson I read... was the long-term Chicago Bulls coach with whom um, Lee Sales became briefly. I'm just in, inserting read... a sleeve note here uh, with whom you became um, really quite alarmingly uh, <laughs> obsessed after watching the doco. <laughs> um, I have 
actually, funnily enough, written about Phil Jackson in one of the essays for our Chat Turn book. So that's how much into mm-hmm. Phil Jackson I was. Anyway, he had this theory um, in his book, which, again, I think I've talked about in the pod, about the broken cup theory, which is yeah. if you have a particular teacup that you love and you think, oh, it's going to be so sad the day that breaks, it's already broken, it's already done. Think of it as broken. It's You've lost it already and then you live your life accordingly and yeah. then you appreciate things more because they're there. Anyway, um, Steve Bidoff's a bit of a believer in that as well. And there was this poem in in the book that he didn't write it, somebody else wrote it, and I've in the photo I've taken off, cut off the title and the name of your book. Okay, good. <laughs> My apologies. Pro. <laughs> My apologies to William Wordsworth. <laughs> My apologies to Pam Ayres. <laughs> oh, we should have looked Pam after Ayres. my teeth. <laughs> such an idiot. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, okay, this is actually a really serious poem. I feel like the <laughs> mood's quite wrong. <laughs> You're the one who pam it, mate. <laughs> Jesus, I mean, you can't, can't turn it around from that. It's just impossible. <laughs> I'm just going to, do you know what I think I'm going to do? Is I think I'm just going to get up Pam Ayres and read that aloud instead because, okay, here you go. This is, this is entitled, Oh, I Wish I'd Looked After Me Teeth. Are you going with it? I can't believe it. I feel like I have to now because anyone listening isn't going to know why you're laughing so hard. I wish I'd looked after me teeth and spotted the dangers beneath. All the toffees I chewed and the sweet sticky food. Oh, I wish I'd looked after me teeth. I wish I'd been that much more willing when I'd had more tooth there than filling to give up gobstoppers from respect to me choppers and to buy something else with me shilling. When I think of the lollies I licked, <laughs> the licorice all sorts I picked, the sherbet dobs big and little, all that hard peanut brittle, me conscience gets horribly pricked. My mother, she told me no end. If you've got a tooth, you've got a friend. I was young then and careless. My toothbrush was hairless. I never had much time to spend. Oh, I showed them the toothpaste all right. I flashed it about late at night. But up and down brushing and poking and fussing, well, it didn't seem worth the time. I could bite. If I'd known I was paving the way to cavities, caps and decay, to the murder of fillings, injections and drillings, I'd have thrown all me sherbet away. So I lie in the old dentist's chair and I gaze up his nose in despair and his drill at doom wine in these molars of mine to amalgam, he'll say, for in there. Oh, how I laughed at my mother's false teeth as they foamed in the waters beneath. But now comes the reckoning. It's for me they're beckoning. Oh, I wish I'd looked after me teeth. <laughs> you really are a very, I would say, like a small-c Catholic consumer of culture, aren't you? <laughs> Mum used to have a couple of editions of Pam Ayres. Oh, yeah. I think I've read every Pam Pam Ayres there is. I don't know where they – they were just there. I don't know where they arrived from. They were sort of a staple of the 70s household along with recipes that involve can of cream of mushroom soup. Exactly. And – you know, what was that? The Thornbirds, you know. Yeah. Yeah, right? Totally. Do you know, like, anyone just listening to this, this is not our exact age. You'll just oh. be like, what? It's <laughs> yeah, just that's like, right. oh, God. Oh, you are an idiot. Um, um, and I'd also just like, <laughs> on behalf of Chat 10 Looks 3 Enterprises, I'd like to 
offer a formal apology to the poor asshole who wrote the poem that was lovely and moving that you were about to read out and that now we'll never, ever know what that was. <laughs> do you know what the other dreadful thing is too? That Because I've now read I Wish I'd Looked After Me too yeah. in its entirety. Yeah, it's Jeremy's going to have yeah. to do the legals on it to find out. Can we actually... Oh, Pam would let us have it, wouldn't she? <laughs> probably Imagine have to pay if Pam it. was like Howard Hughes, no way, mate. We're Let's probably about it. to get a writ to go... <laughs> like Samuel Beckett. <laughs> no, you read aloud. Wish I'd after me teeth. You can't do that without paying me some royalties. No, there's probably some sort of Beckett-style kind of, you know, rules about how you have to have it lit and, like, you know... You actually have to have it's no not teeth a two-part. to read that poem. <laughs> Only toothless people are allowed to actually read that. It's got to be done exactly as, as decreed. Um, oh, God. Where, where can we go after Anyway, that? so the Badolf book is good. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like... <clears throat> yeah. it's, I, I, look, I'm just looking at this poem. It's so deeply profound and moving. I just feel you like can't I can't it. possibly read it. I'll, I I'll, I might read it at the end, but there's All right, just well, no let's give it, it some... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been no like way. to try and uh, maintain a bit of respectability or restore it to this, let's face it, smoking ruin of a podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought that things couldn't get weirder after we Googled Funky Cold Medina. Oh, yeah, I know. Oh, oh there's oh. plenty of weird left. Oh, also, what? somebody told me that oh, the Funky Cold Medina is, because you know how we Sex thought it was just an innocent cocktail. Right, yeah. They said it's like when you put a drug in a cocktail. Oh. Yeah. And so you, Spanish fly. Yeah, exactly. Right. Spanish okay. fly. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. But well, I, I can I, cope with that. I thought it was going to be some sort of like really upsetting sex act. Or I want to make well, it probably that too. to have. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> but it involves, I don't, it's going to be an expensive drink to make because I don't have any spirits. So I'd have to buy like those three bottles of whatever yeah. it is and some cranberry juice. I can't really be. Yeah. Bothered. Blue Curacao and, you know. <laughs> but you know what? The next <laughs> next gentleman who asks me out for a date post COVID, if you produce a funky cold for Dana, I'll be very impressed. Wow. <laughs> That's that's what they call a high bar, gents. <laughs> now, I've been listening to an improving podcast. Actually, I've been listening to a couple of different podcasts. Um, one I wanted to talk about because I think you would like it. Um, uh, it's called Principle of Charity. Okay. It's made by um, Emile Sherman, who's that oh, Australian yeah. film producer, absolutely yeah. lovely guy um, and genius um, film producer. But he... Um, presents it along with, I think, his cousin, Lloyd, who um, describes himself in the sleeve notes rather adorably as a recovering extremist. (laughs) (laughs) He was um, part of the um, anti-apartheid movement in South Africa um, and... I, he doesn't go into detail about his past extremism. But, yeah, you know, I was going to say. I know, it's, it's just intriguing. like what a great, like yeah. it's a great um, label to use to identify yourself. But um, anyway, th- th- it's a rather elegant um, mo- model, this podcast. What they do every episode is that they get two people who radically disagree with each other on a, like a big Super big issue. Like, so they've done, you know, um, pornography, um, should we eat meat, you know, like these big issues. They get a person from, you know, two opposing sides and they get them in for a conversation. But the way they start the conversation is they ask ask each of the protagonists to present in one or two minutes to summarise in the most charitable possible terms their opponent's argument. Oh, so they start off by, you know, assessing and, um, you know, summarising each other's arguments. And there's something, it's, it's quite a magical 
idea, I think. Yeah. Because it means that you kind of have to leave your own territory before you've even started the argument. Right. Um, and uh, anyway, I just finished listening to the one on pornography, um, which um, is uh, really interesting. Anyway, I, it's um, it's a great model. I think it's quite elegant. Yeah. Um, that sounds good. There's another thing that you've listened to that I really want to hear about, which is that Pieces of Brittany. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, is that so a podcast? Or? It is a podcast. Right. Um, and it's actually... Um, it's made by Pandora Sykes, who's one half of the Hilo oh, yeah. um, okay. podcast, which is, I think, sadly now no more. Yeah, they've um, stopped doing that. Yeah, I, I, I did enjoy that podcast. Anyway, I mean, Pandora Sykes is a journo um, and she's made this – it's quite an interesting podcast because it's made almost entirely from archive and she's kind of looked back across Britney Spears's career and it – brings you all like over the series to the point now where Britney Spears is challenging her curatorship and so on. And the reason that it's sort of valuable, I think, is it it gives a really good analysis of what happened, you know, 10, 15 years ago to famous young women, you know, and the sorts of um, the, the emergence of... Um, you know, websites like TMZ that were all entirely about gossip about famous people, the paparazzi culture that started um, a market for pictures of celebrities looking ugly, losing their shit in the street and so on. So it's it's a good – it's a sort of social history of what happens to particularly young women who are, you know, in the frame of fame. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, it's really good, yeah. But I, I haven't um, watched any of the kind of Britney stuff. Neither have I, actually. Oh, okay. Um, awesome. But I, I've had, sort so of I wanted can... to. Yes, yeah, same. And I've made a couple it. of, you know, where do I watch and then fallen asleep, you know. Like I just haven't really pursued it very much. Mm. But I do think, I mean, I'm, you and I have talked so much about Monica Lewinsky and yeah. you know, what happens to young women that are kind of in this ferocious mm. crucible of publicity and, um, and you know, Amy Winehouse and lots of celebrities about whom, you know, 15, 20 years ago it was – would whose misfortunes would provide, you know, thousands of hours of comedy yeah. routines for TV hosts and so on. And looking back at that stuff is – just really it's uncomfortable yeah particularly if you can remember you know engaging in it yeah yeah it's that it's hard too because they're never really you know allowed to grow up like everyone wants Britney Spears to be the girl in yeah one more time in the school uniform and the you know or right. the snake doing slave or whatever yeah um I watched the other day quite a dreadful film called The Mirror Has Two Faces with Barbara right. Streisand and Jeff Bridges <laughs> And you still won't watch Cabaret. It's like you're actually just taunting me now. Do you know what? Like, I have tried to find Cabaret, but it's not on any streaming oh, services. Really? And so I'd have to buy a DVD and I don't have a DVD player. So oh, um, anyway, wow, I'll have to okay. get into it. I think I've got a scratchy VHS tape of it somewhere. <laughs> I'll have to pop around. Yeah. Um, so it's a very ordinary film, but uh, it does have one really good bit and I was then Googling um, Barbara Streisand talking about it. So Lauren Bacall's in it. She's Barbara mm, Streisand's mother. That's cool. And it's so it's old, obviously, Lauren Bacall. And uh, there's this great scene where Barbara, who, you know, part, as is often the case in Barbara Streisand films, part of the plot is that she's not conventionally 
attractive yeah. and how that plays out in her life, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, there's a scene where Barbara asks Lauren Bacall, um, what was it like to be beautiful? And then the camera sort of rests on Lauren Bacall's mm. aged face. Mm. And uh, it's quite amazing. You can sort of see like, you know, just this sort of thing goes across Lauren Bacall's face and then she says it, it was great. Mm. Anyway, um, Barbara then when she's talking about she was the director of the film, she said some of that stuff that she did with Lauren Bacall was improvised because she wanted to get Lauren wow. Bacall's actual real reaction. Huh. And it felt it felt like when I watched it that you did see Lauren Bacall's real reaction to that because, I mean, that must be a very hard thing to, you know, to look like Lauren Bacall and then, mm. you know, you're famous, famous beauty for your beauty mm. and then that currency is gone. Right, when it's the one thing that people notice and comment on about you. That's then right. How can you then go on meeting people whose first instinct is to look at you and say, oh. Well, I was thinking <laughs> about it with um, Jennifer, Jennifer, um, what's her name, Lopez, getting yeah. back together with... Ben Affleck. Yeah. And they replicated that shot of from, you know, 15, 20 years ago, whatever it was. And they're on a yacht and he's got yeah. his hand on her bum. And then yeah. last week I've saw, saw that that was back in the paper. And I was thinking, like, come on, that's a like 52, 53 year old ass. Yeah. Like, just put it away. Like, yeah. why is it got to be out? It's got to be out because that's what society wants from Jennifer Lopez. Like, yeah. we've, you know, people have sort of reinforced to her, like, well, you're a sexy, ageless kind of woman. And so she has to keep oh, delivering God, on that. It must be exhausting. So tiring. Oh, so tiring. I'm glad I'm known for my figure skating. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's, um, it's interesting. Speaking of uh, famous musicians, brings me to oh, the happy coincidence of oh, McCartney 321. I've prepared myself Have for Have you this watched moment. any of that or just Jeremy's watching it alone? Okay, I'm going to be super honest and you're not going to like this. I sat down and watched like 15 minutes of it. Yeah, it wouldn't be your bag. Oh, so not my bag. Did you find and, it boring? Um, look, coming from the principle of charity, I uh, perhaps I sat down in the wrong bit. <laughs> it was like 10 minutes of him sitting in a piano, at a piano with Rick Rubin yep. and they're just listening to music yep. and... Every 10 seconds, Rick Rubin goes, oh, my God, that's genius. And then Paul McCartney tries not to look incredibly pleased. I'm like, Jesus, really? And then Rick Rubin goes, I mean, like, the thing is, I mean, you know, the amazing thing about the Beatles is, like, I mean, you could cover something reggae and you could borrow from reggae and you'd listen to it and you wouldn't think that's reggae. You'd think that's the Beatles. And McCartney goes... Yeah, man. I'm like, I'm going to bed to watch the Bureau on my phone. And Jeremy's like, yeah, it's probably not your bag. <laughs> He's absolutely loving it. Yeah, well, I'm guessing that was, was like, episode one. Rick Rubin, you mm. need a haircut. Yes. Paul McCartney. Yes, I'm guessing, I'm guessing me. Is it all black on... and white and grainy and yes. kind of like, yeah. I'm, look, I'm guessing me banging on now about the <laughs> the delights of hearing of the piccolo trumpet arrangement in Penny Lane. It's probably not going to get you over the line to watch any more of it, is it? But I'm kind of more entertained watching you talk about it than I am <laughs> what, watching the watching thing it. itself. Look, I mean, possibly. because I'm such a hardcore Beatles fan, of course, oh, for yeah. me it's oh. absolute heaven. Yeah. But one of the things I love the most about it is when, when they play a bit of a song and the camera's on McCartney's face as he's listening to it, I just think, my God, what must be running through his brain? What must he be thinking as he's hearing that? Oh, my God. I was just thinking, do we need milk? Um, (laughs) When's this going to be over? This is a third take. I feel like some toast. What am I going to do with all this money? (laughs) (laughs) 
Anyway, I'm loving it. I wonder what Lee's thinking right now. I wonder what she's wearing. (laughs) Young Australian journalist who interviewed me when I was out there. I wonder what she's up to. Um, She seemed nice. That, uh, yeah, it's one for the hardcore fans. So I'm I'm, I'm getting that sense. Yeah. 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 From the. But anyway, look, you, we should do a spin-off where you talk to Jeremy about it because, oh, you know, totally, that's and right. then he'd be just like, have you in watched 1971 episode, yet? <laughs> in, today's, in today's episode of Chat 10 Looks 3, the role of Annabelle Crab, Crab will be played by Jeremy Storer. Um, I just, back on our uh, the kind of self-helpy mental health kind of theme from before, just one quick thing I wanted to mention was a podcast called Bounce Back. Um, I think you talked about it yes. in an episode with Michael Cooks I Trotter. did, yeah. yeah. Um, I listened just the other day to the one with Ash Barty's Mindset Coach, Ben Crow. Oh, my God, I love that that person exists. Oh, he was great. He's so interesting. And so he mm. talked a bit about, because it was just after she'd won Wimbledon, yeah. so he was talking a bit about um, working with her and how he's got her into the space to enjoy what she's doing. And it's, you know, like a lot of things in life, you have to enjoy the process, not the end yeah. point. Um, and so he's talked about working with her to get her back to just enjoying playing the game of tennis mm. and not necessarily the outcome of whether you win or lose yeah. playing the game of tennis. In the Steve Bidolf book, actually, he he has this thing that really resonated with me, um, which was about, you know, say with music, right, it's not about um, – it's all about the process. It's about the content of the song. It's not about the end of the song. Like it's not like you play the piece of music and oh, then the yeah, victory right. is like because I've yeah. hit the end of it. Mm. Um, it's about the process. And so, and, and, you know, same with reading a great book. It's not necessarily about the end. It's about, you know, enjoying the process of it. So he talked about how he's applied those kind of lessons. He works a lot with sports people but then mm. applied them to people's lives generally. Anyway, he was very interesting, persuasive, great talker and it was really um, interesting. Anyway, I noticed in Bounce Back they've got – there's one I've favourited to listen to about Bill Shorten because often it's talking to people who've oh, gone yeah. through a hard yeah. time and then oh, bounce back. I've not heard that one. Yeah. So there's Tim Payne who I think – is he an AFL player? He's a – no, cricketer. Sorry, he's a cricketer. Ask, ask Ian Chappell. Text him. <laughs> he's a cricketer. Um so there's one with him, there's one with Michael Coots Trotter that yep. you mentioned, who's the head of the corrections department in New South Wales, who spent time in prison in his younger years as a for dealing heroin. Um, the Bill Shorten one I thought would be just interesting, talking about coming back from that, yep. something he thought he was going to win and yeah. losing. But yeah, Ben Crow. Anyway, bounce. It's a great back. it's a great, great um it's a great series because I think we spend heaps of time interviewing people about success. And then, um, but there's like a real taboo about interviewing people about failures, even though Mm. like the most successful people will tell you that the things that they failed at are actually huge contributors to their success. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's sort of of obvious really, but if you want to do anything creative or innovative, you have to accept failure. Yeah. Because not everything you do is going to work. So it's part and parcel of it. Good podcast. Yes. (laughs) Marvellous. Oh, man. Do I need to get some more Pam? No, 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 please don't. Oh, that's exactly what I was thinking. Oh, my God, there's a silence. She's going to get Pam Ayres out. Oh, I've read a couple of novels. Okay. Yeah. Hit me. Yeah. Two I've read recently. I've been, like, watching more TV, really, than um, and listening to podcasts than reading novels. But um, yeah. I read a book called The Paper Palace. Yeah, what's it about? Which is, um, so it's about a family, it's about a woman, principal character, whose family's got this... Um, sort of um, holiday house that they go sort of it's very basic and they basically go camping there and um, the story is about her and her husband who she loves and her kids who she loves and her oldest friend who on page one she has sex with 
and it has been. She has sex with her oldest friend. Yeah, he's a guy. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I know. Right. Yeah, yeah, I'm confused. Yeah. yeah, okay, right. Um, and so, so this, the woman's oldest oh, friend is a man. Yep. Okay. Yeah, who's a childhood friend from holidays at this you know right. lake house you know and um so the whole book is basically 24 hours after she impulsively has sex with her oh. oldest friend when and then you find out that actually he's been in love with her forever and um they have both married other people and she is coming to terms with the realisation that she has always been in love with this friend. And mm. um, it's almost that there's a dilemma for her about what she's going to do about the fact that this mutual attraction has broken forth from the theoretical realm to now they've actually cheated on their spouses and they're staying in the same place. Do you know anyone who's ever had the experience of suddenly realising that, oh, my God, I'm actually in love with you? No. No, me either. I'm Mm. quite sceptical of it, but it could be because it's never happened to me. But um, It's it's a really good book, actually. I found it it was exactly the sort of pace that I needed. Like it was sort of... um, What's it called again? The Palace? It's called The Paper Palace. Oh, The Paper Palace. Yeah, by Miranda Cowley Heller. Is it Australian or uh, no okay. American? Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So um, yeah, I think if you're yeah, it's it's sort of pacey. It's a bit chewy. It's nicely written. Good. Yeah. Good yeah. to know. Uh, and I just started reading this book of short stories, which is absolutely mind-blowingly great. Yeah. First publication, I think, for um, uh, a woman called Paige Clark. She lives in Melbourne. This is her first book of Paige. Um, uh, short stories. I'll read like the the blurb on the front is from Robert Lukens. Paige Clark is the best new writer in Australia, and this book is like nothing else. Wow! Like it's actually it's okay. So I'm, I'm only a couple of stories in, um, but the 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 bit that's been sampled on the back cover is actually really um, it's a good example of what the book is like. It's stories, and they're kind of. Some of them have the feel of fables. They're all stories in which the character is like someone close to them has died or or they have died or mm. and there's interactions with God but that are incredibly um, banal, like God turns up and says, hey, you know, um, I need a friend. I'm going to take your <laughs> husband. Oh. And she, you know, bargains and says, um, wouldn't you prefer my mother? Because she thinks I could, my mother's a bit annoying, I can do without her. <laughs> like, like it's it's shocking and well, irreverent and amazing. funny. Anyway, here's like two pars from the back cover. I know lots of things now that I'm dead. Peter from apartment two has a spastic bladder. My former boss, Morgan, keeps her toenails in a gold jewellery box. My brother and his wife are trying for a baby. I always excuse myself before things get too heated. I don't know much about my mother yet. I'm waiting for grief to catch her. But she mostly seems ashamed of her body, of what it made. Oh. Okay. It's good. um anyway, it's really, really like great in the way where you read something and you think this is really original and mm. um awesome. Yeah. Mm. Okay, good. I'll keep an eye out for that one. Um, radio, we'll uh 
Maybe we should call it a day. <laughs> Do you think... I mean, how would you feel about reading that poem from the Bidolph book? Or, you oh, know, I think I can do it now, yeah. yeah. I think we've Because I think we've, t- we've, we've calmed, calmed down. down. We've calmed it down. Yeah, we've calmed quite, it down. And I quite so would hysterical. quite like to. Could you just refresh my memory? Because I can think of, of it's up. flossing. There's a hell of a like, lot of build-up to it now. It's uh, We were talking about the Phil Jackson broken cups thing. We were. things yeah. are impermanent. Okay, yeah. here it is. You will lose everything. Your money, your power, your fame, your success, perhaps even your memories. Your looks will go, loved ones will die, your body will fall apart. Everything that seems permanent is impermanent and will be smashed. Experience will gradually, or not so gradually, strip away everything that it can strip away. Waking up means facing this reality with open eyes and no longer turning away. But right now, we stand on sacred and holy ground, for that which will be lost has not yet been lost, and realising this is the key to unspeakable joy. Whoever or whatever is in your life right now has not yet been taken away from you. This may sound trivial, obvious, but really knowing it is the key to everything, the why and how and wherefore of existence. Impermanence has already rendered everything and everyone around you so deeply holy and significant and worthy of your heartbreaking gratitude. Loss, sorry, loss has already transfigured your life into an altar. Wow. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? That's great. So what that means is you should be very grateful for me sitting right here right now. I know, being unable to actually remember who wrote that. My command command of Pam Ayres and my ability to just recite at will. That was actually just such a golden moment. I haven't laughed that hard for, like, yonks. Well, you are welcome, lady. Right, let's get out of here. See ya. See ya.